Okay, everybody, we've got a great episode of This Week in Startups for you. Today, we're going to talk about free speech on social media. Getter, the social news app uh, for the right-wing folks, uh, is getting hundreds of thousands of downloads this week because Joe Rogan joined the platform and a bunch of his fans are over there. I, I created an account, Jason Calacanis, over there. If you want to follow me. And it's the one-year anniversary of the insurrection at the Capitol. And we have a, a pretty wide-ranging discussion about the challenges of running moderation on social media platforms at scale, including the decentralized ones that exist in the crypto space. Plus, Molly brings up ProPublica's investigation into Facebook's role in the January 6th riots, attacks, insurrection, whatever term you like to refer to it as. Because, of course, it is officially, it is the one-year anniversary of that event. Though, that is not our only topic of discussion. We also talk about the New York Times reportedly buying The Athletic for $550 million and whether Disney may have missed the boat on that one. We uh, also, Jason has a great interview with Jiho Zerlin from Axie Infinity, the largest NFT game. I, for one, was riveted by this conversation. They've had billions of dollars of NFT sales. And just trust me, your jaw is going to drop when you hear how much people are paying just for one of the basically the little like fighter characters. And now we say at the same time, three, two, one, it's going to be a great episode. It's going to be a great episode. Three, two, one. It's going to be a great episode. Stick with with us. (laughs) (laughs) That's my (laughs) sign off. Let's stick with it and see if it works. We're going to work on that. (laughs) Well, you went with us. That was amazing. (laughs) This Week in Startups is brought to you by Data IQ allows companies to leverage one central solution to design, deploy, and manage AI and analytics applications. Visit dataiq.com to learn more. Eight Sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer. Now you can add the Pod Pro cover to any mattress. Go to 8sleep.com slash twist to check out the Pod Pro cover and get $150 off at checkout. And Squarespace, turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We cannot not acknowledge the fact that it is January 6th today. It's the one-year anniversary of the storming of the Capitol. And so our news story today is actually very much in the vein of a lot of the things that have happened since, which is examining, you know, how social media played into this, how this uh, led to the, of course, very high profile suspension and finally booting of Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump off of Twitter and the various apps and kind of uh, this pro free speech social media movement that sprung up as a result. Parler obviously is, you know, essentially dead and gone since the Capitol insurrection when it was going to briefly be the Twitter alternative um, downloads, though, there is a new one of the Twitter like social media app Getter have spiked mm-hmm. Primarily because, and this probably happened to Spotify also, Joe Rogan joined the platform earlier this week. We teased this segment yesterday, um, but I have to be honest, today feels like a, a better day, a better day to talk getter. Yeah, I I uh, actually signed up and because uh, I saw the Joe Rogan thing and I always like to just have my account. It is like using Twitter in year one. It is mm. an incredibly light version of Twitter. It's an exact copy. Yeah. Uh, and so when you make an exact copy like that for a portion of the audience, it's going to be a hard business to actually make work. Um, and I think making the anti, uh, 
censorship, making the censorship, the censorship resistant Twitter is going to be very hard for them because you're going to get every maniac to go on there to do something that makes you right. censor them. You're so they're going the to literally stress test it. <laughs> you're going to have the exact same problem that Parler had immediately, exact same. which is like you instantly got legit terrorists, legit yes. Nazis, legit yes. child porn. Yes. And that was the end of that. Because once you run right into the law, yeah. you have to moderate your content. Full stop. Yeah. I, so what happens is if you basically say, I'm creating a space where no rules apply, which isn't exactly what they're saying, but like less rules apply. Mm -hmm. You're basically doing a dog whistle. You're flashing the red cape to the bull. And all of a sudden, just every maniac is going to come there and be like, you know, spreading some conspiracy theory or, you know, the Sandy Hook kids uh, weren't actually uh, murdered as a false flag, like the InfoWars guy likes to say, oh, which is just the most loathsome thing in the world. Yeah. And then you basically inherit all the worst people in the world. Now, I'm not saying Joe Rogan is the worst people in the world. I don't believe that. But um, when we're at whichever side you lean towards, you're going to get those people. So if you lean towards Bernie, you might get the communists, you know, who are left of him, who want to literally ban billionaires. And if you take Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro, then you might get the crazy Alex Jones who are to the right of them. Right? It's just yeah. whichever way you lean, there's going to be a group of keep people who are going to lean even further. And uh, as our producer, Justin, points out in our group Slack, advertisers just love that edgy content, right? You're sort of walking the line because advertisers like engagement. And that is why Facebook and YouTube have simultaneously gotten away with with promoting very divisive content and you know there there was a big i'm just going to point you to the story yep. a washington post and ProPublica collaboration that came out yesterday that looked really maybe the day before uh the fourth i think really 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 in-depth look at all of the ways that facebook and facebook groups undoubtedly incubated the violence that happened on january sure. 6th so much so that you know nbc uh brandy zadrozny from nbc news she and Ben Collins have done incredible work on misinformation. They posted a story about all of the violence that was being plotted online in advance of January 6th. They posted this last year, like January 4th of last year. And Brandy tweeted about it yesterday and said, you know, I almost didn't want to do this story because it just didn't feel like it was news. Mm. And then after the riot happened, then Facebook said like, oh, I don't think that was planned on Facebook. Sheryl Sandberg was out here like, I don't think we had anything to do with yeah. that. I mean, so it was anyway, obviously... If, yeah. if Facebook was, if Facebook is the dominant platform and it really allows this kind of speech uh, and they take a light hand or they had taken a light hand, they mm -hmm. probably still do. Of course, that's going to be where it's going to be. So in their defense, like if a bunch of people on Verizon phones are plotting in, you know, private groups and iMessage, you know, uh, is it Apple's fault or Verizon's? I don't know. If it's in right. Facebook and they see it, and that, I guess, is a question. I think they, they really pushed groups because they wanted to have the, the let's say, edgy speech mm -hmm. be for a smaller subset of people. They actually, I think, at Facebook thought that was a solution. It actually is not a solution because what you're doing is driving the bad speech underground. Right. I have always been a fan of let these people have their speech. So we at least know who they are and where it is. Yeah, exactly. And where they are. And, and Facebook, like, OK, not yeah. only like buried the speech in groups so that it would be harder to see in public, which every researcher right. told them was a bad idea. Bad idea. They then recommended 
the groups to people who showed up on Facebook. So they'd be like, oh, hi, I see you came to Facebook and you searched for a company that turns classic cars into electric cars. Would you like to join this group plotting an insurrection to the capital? I mean, that is how like, you know, this would be like this algorithm was. Here's the analogy. If YouTube, if you were watching Ben Shapiro on YouTube Mm -hmm. and then you got like, I don't know, Milo Yiannopoulos, who was banned or Alex Jones, who was also banned for YouTube. Imagine YouTube didn't ban those two, but they said, hey, by the way. If you like Ben Shapiro and his, you know, super far right position, um, which I'm fine with, by the way, I don't have a problem with Ben Shapiro necessarily. I mean, the anti-trans stuff is a little bit weird. Uh, feels a little weird. Like maybe a, little. a little. He's a little too obsessed with it is like kind of my point. You know, like some people who we knew when we were growing up were kind of like anti-gay. And yeah, then we're on to you, bro. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then they came out 20 years later. It kind of feels a little like that to me, like a little weird. Um, but putting that aside. Um, our lives I mean, just our lives online just ended. By the way, yeah, you have to. <laughs> anyway, I, no, I it was like a very big trend when I was growing up. No, like, no, I know. Were, I mean, because like now somebody is going to be like, "Did you hear that Jason suggested that Ben Shapiro is secretly trans?" <laughs> I don't think Ben be? Shapiro is trans. No, I don't know. I Look, think he's I think tra- anybody he's a little too interested in trans for it to be yeah an opinion. I think it's a little bit of an obsession for him. Yeah, and when I see somebody obsessed with it. I think they probably want to hang out with trans people and be friends with them. Right. You know, I, so I think that's actually what it is. It instead of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he should just go to like, I mean, he would, he, he, I think Ben Shapiro wants to be a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. I think he secretly would love that. That's, um, did yeah. I go too far? No, honestly, <laughs> I just, I have no idea because I have never listened to him. And uh, uh, I'm just, to. I'm waiting for all of his stands to be like, what? Potential for positive change with AI is huge, but seeing that value is hard. AI-driven growth is about organizational transformation, not just technology. And many businesses struggle with bringing AI initiatives to fruition. And that's where DataIQ comes in. DataIQ is the platform for everyday AI, systemizing the use of data for exceptional business results. At its core, DataIQ allows companies to leverage one central solution to design, deploy, and manage AI and analytics applications. And it's accessible for everyone, whether technical or on the business side. DataIQ also facilitates using pre-built components and automation wherever possible in order to streamline work processes, as well as consistent management and governance across teams and projects to create transparent, repeatable, and scalable AI and analytics programs. Visit dataiku.com to learn more. That's D-A-T-A-I-K-U.com to learn more. I used to listen to, during the peak of the Russia gate and all this stuff, I would listen on my drive home two years ago from the office uh, in the city. I would listen to Rachel Maddow, mm-hmm. and I would listen to Ben Shapiro, and then I would try to triangulate in between what was actually happening with the Russian investigation and all this stuff. Right. Putting it aside, imagine you're watching that Ben Shapiro. And then it says, oh, by the way, we have a group over here run by Milo Yiannopoulos and Alex Jones. Would you like to join it? Would you like to join it? Exactly. But their videos were not public. You had to join it. And let's mm. say you had to be approved. So the people who are the mods looked at your history and what channels you subscribe to. And if you subscribe to Rachel Maddow, they wouldn't let you in. But if you subscribe to these other, you know, more right viewpoints, they would let you in. What that lets you do is it's kind of like joining a country club where like all the members are a certain demographic and then you might hear jokes that are racist or whatever, right? That's kind of what Facebook did in their groups 
architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did they do it intentionally? I don't think so. I hope not. I mean, I think they promoted the hell out of those. You know, you didn't have to. You I think they you did can, it for growth. And it happens on YouTube. Exactly. They did it for growth. And they That's wanted people the to join these groups. And so they promoted them relentlessly. And then the fact is that they found out that a ton of their groups were basically hate speech, you know, yes. anti-vax and and plotting violence against, you know, the government to overthrow the results of a free and fair election. So like, yeah, but anyway, the capital attack is a great. Rorschach test of intellectual honesty, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm good friends with David Sachs, who's like my bestie, and he keeps calling this like an outing and not a big deal. And then when I press him on it, he's like, Well, of course, if you beat up cops and you broke things, you should be prosecuted. And I'm like, Well, wait, which is it? Are you like doing a Republican talking point that like they were staying within the, you know, stanchions? Like <laughs> some Republicans like, Oh, you what they were like walking through the stanchions. Oh, and I'm like, I know. I'm sure there are people at the back of the line who this was just like a fun weekend at Bernie's. Like it was like a crazy, like going to a, you know, a, a music festival kind of experience, mm -hmm. but the tip of the spear were insurrectionists. Spear. It was a spear designed to yeah. find vice president Pence and attack him and mm -hmm. to find Nancy Pelosi and to beat her. Like I actually believe if they had found Nancy Pelosi, they would have beaten her and killed her. And if they found Mike Pence, yes. they would have beaten and killed him. I, I mean, am I crazy? Because I, I watch them beat up cops and I watch no, them break the windows and I watch them grab any weapon they could to beat police officers. If they'll yeah. beat police officers, what the heck do you think they would have done if they found Pence or Pelosi or yeah. AOC or anybody? It's in, it's look, it's all it was all on TV in real time. Yes, it is all recorded. There is no argument about this yes. whatsoever, whatsoever. And the only question is, what's it going to look like as we move forward with these sort of increasingly splintering information biospheres? And so you see these apps that are an attempt to sort of further splinter that. Whether they're going to work, I don't know. You see social platforms struggling with the concept of how to promote really engaging content that might be bad for society. But that isn't so offensive that advertisers pull out because, you know, advertisers were boycotting YouTube over terrorist content. So it's, I think like the simple, the simplest thing to say here is that every platform that comes along like Getter and says, we're going to be the 100% free speech platform. And I take issue with that characterization because, you know, my belief is that censorship is a tool of governments, not private companies who can do whatever the hell they want with sure. their platforms particularly publicly traded companies that have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders and investors, yes. not the people who are flapping their gums on their platforms, is going to run into the exact same problem over and over and over again. There is no such thing as a totally unmoderated platform if that platform is a business. Yes. And there are crypto decentralized uh, versions of Twitter that have been around for a while. Uh, and so uh, Mastodon, I think, is the one. Uh, yeah. Mastodon is the uh, Twitter competitor where you get onto any server, uh, and, uh, you know, Mastodon.social and it's Mast never taken off, Dodon? but yeah. theoretically, if you were using Mastodon, you could be doxing people, threatening people anonymously. And this is where, you know, nobody being in charge, which is a theme we were talking about this week, uh, in crypto projects, et cetera, and centralization versus decentralized. I mean, do we really want a world where nobody is in charge of uh, 
an at scale social network. Like imagine do the do the thought experiment of Facebook not being owned by anybody. Right. And none of those rooms can be banned except by they can never be banned, but you could have law enforcement go to them because they are coordinating attacks like January 6th or worse, uh, or like a Sandy Hook or, you know, any other like violent attack. Do we really want a censorship proof at scale social network? I don't think I want to live in that world. Well, nobody that seems to me yeah. to be incredibly dangerous. And I'm a free speech advocate, but to mm -hmm. not be able to take down, you know, child porn or threats of violence or doxing, that seems incredibly dangerous. I mean, we're just seeing like smaller and smaller ripples of what the entire internet used to be, right? When the internet became the World Wide Web and then it was a totally unmoderated, you know, yep. completely wide open view of society. And then everybody was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to create search engines for this. We need to create safer spaces within this. And we need to, and you start like it started to get moderated and whittled into more manageable chunks. And then those manageable, manageable chunks got out of control and they were like, whoa, 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 you can't be doing that in our bulletin boards and our BBS groups. And we need to like put a filter yeah. here. And it, like, this is just what it is unfortunately like, or fortunately a natural evolution of a, like a mirror on society into gotcha. a version of society that we live in every day. Yeah, yeah. Except this is global and at scale right. and instantaneous and, and moving so fast. And there's philosophy. It grows at a pace that's different than, you know, I don't know, uh, a Ku Klux Klan, you know, white right. supremacy group, you know, in the South, it totally. might take them 10 years to grow to 100 members. Whereas a group on Facebook could grow to 100 members in the first hour. Well, and you can create a hundred thousand fake members exactly. overnight. Yeah. So it's a, it's just not, it's not a one-to-one -one comparison, but yes. like the real world to these social platforms. I mean, Reddit is a perfect example because they kind of took the Usenet, the BBSs, and they became super toxic. And then they wanted to have advertisers to dovetail back to uh, producer mm -hmm. uh, Justin's point in the chat while we're reading this. Like, it's going to be hard for you know, Getter or any of these projects to have any kind of advertising outside of like Mr. Pillow, wherever that idiot is who sells pillows and things, <laughs> you know, that, exactly. Uh, like Venezuelans, you know, rigged the election because, yeah. you know, they're so good at <laughs> running countries and yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it's right, still, so it is one year later and remains a messy world, I think is our takeaway here. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer. We all know that. According to 8sleep, over 30% of Americans struggle with their sleep. And temperature is one of the main reasons. Don't I know it? I sometimes wake up in a sweat. It's too hot. It's too dry. I can't take it. I like it to be nice and crisp sheets, nice and cool. And that's my jam for getting a great night's sleep. And now 8sleep allows me to do that. And they're going to allow you to do it with their new Pod Pro cover. So if you already have a mattress you love... You don't need to change it. Now you can just buy the cover and still experience the full magic of 8sleep. The Pod Pro cover is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. This way you can add the cover to any mattress and the temperature of the cover will adjust to each side of the bed. And it will adjust for your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature. It reacts intelligently to create the optimal sleep environment. And if you've got a partner and they like it hot and you like it cool or vice versa, you're all set. Each side, Viva La Difference, gets to get their exact needs met. Eight sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, and it reduces sleep interruptions by 40% according to eight sleep and you'll get more restful sleep overall by using it and i can tell you that is true because i use it every night 
Now you can add the Pod Pro Cover to any mattress. Go to 8sleep.com slash twist to check out the Pod Pro Cover and save $150 off at checkout. That's right, $150 off at checkout, 8sleep.com slash twist. You, you need only open your eyes and read what the right was saying and the left was saying, as per this uh, article that you pointed out from ProPublica, we all knew this was a possibility. Everybody Tim Poole, who is like that, you know, right, I think he's an alt-right citizen journalist. He said in a conversation, and I'm just quoting from the Wikipedia here, mm-hmm. I've had messages from people saying they've already got plans to rush to D.C. as soon as November 3rd goes chaotic, yeah. and that the right-wing militias, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, and just the Proud Boys and Trump supporters, they are going to full rush. They're going to rush full speed to D.C. They are going to take the White House and do whatever they can and paramilitary. Facebook groups had 650,000 posts attacking the legitimacy of Joe Biden's victory between Election Day and the January 6th insurrection. There were 10,000 of these posts per day on average. This is from the Washington Post ProPublica piece. And lots of the posts that were quoted were talking about, quote, civil war in the streets. Um, Breaking news. I just saw from one of our amazing uh, Noti Gang members, Yada, the New York Times is going to buy The Athletic for $550 million. Wow. That is a great deal for the New York Times because The Athletic has a great subscriber base. I don't think The Athletic should have sold. I think they should have gone public. They should have kept going with that subscriber base, but okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a great deal for them. They'll make some money, but I would not have sold. I think The Athletic could have challenged ESPN. Um, it could have been a $5 billion company, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to... Uh, raise money for media companies but this is uh going to be a great deal for them because they're trying to drive subs and they don't have trump in office to drive subs like they did for four years oh they be in the new york times i was like why would the athletic be uh okay slow burn slow burn over here (laughs) the athletic is like you know it's it's a subscription driven sports site and you can only read stuff on there if you're a subscriber and the new york times subscriber base has been growing yep and they don't want to be competing against the, it, you know, this is the thing about ad-based businesses. As you do venture capital, you'll see anybody who says they're going to have an ad-based business. It's like, are you sure you're going to have an ad-based business at scale? Because, gee, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, the duopoly of Google and Facebook seem to be running uh, that business now online. It's very hard to compete. And now wow. Amazon's in it. So this is... Um, Producer Nick says this is essentially even with their valuation in their last round in January 2020 when they raised it at a $530 million valuation. So does that suggest they were in some trouble? Suggests they hit a wall in growth and yeah. the, they couldn't raise additional investors. So what happens sometimes is... Um, and we had the founder of The Athletic on. Well, I'll get the episode number in a moment. Um, and they were doing well, but there's a concept of natural audience. So a natural number of subscribers you can reach, or it becomes incredibly expensive to acquire the incremental ones. So you kind of get the easy ones and you're growing very fast, but then to get the next group of people, so you get the top 10% of the market, but getting the next 10% becomes very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then investors go, you know what? Eh, I got other software investments I can work on. Mm. That would be a better place for me to put the next $200 million late stage deal. So they probably couldn't get that $200 million they needed for their next deal. But the New York Times looks at it and goes, well, we can reduce our churn. We already have subscribers. So if the New York Times reduces churn for, you know, and they have a lifetime value of, say, $1,000. If you got a lifetime value of $1,000, you know, you only need X millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people. Let's say, let's say this is a lifetime value of $1,000 for a New York Times subscriber. 
500,000 incremental New York Times subscribers pays for this. Yeah. That seems completely possible. Seems I don't know how many subscribers possible. The Athletic has, but I, I got to think they were close to a million. I mean, that would be a good, I mean, you, you have the meditation apps hitting millions, right? I mm -hmm. think Headspace has a million. And, and sports, I don't more. know if you know this about America, but sports is pretty popular. It, it seems to, based on <laughs> what I see on the weekends on Twitter, <laughs> 1.2 million <laughs> subscribers for The Athletic. So Wow. That means I think the athletics a hundred bucks a year or fifty bucks a year. So mm -hmm. if they have fifty, if it's fifty dollars a year, that's fifty million in revenue. Uh, so it's ten times their top line revenue, which is what media companies go for: ten to twenty times, five to ten times their top line revenue. So this is probably a good purchase. This is probably a great purchase for the New York Times, New York Times and yeah. a great outcome for the founders of the Athletic, and a bad outcome or an okay outcome, a push basically, and uh, is how you would look at it. It's a push for venture investors. I feel like, side note, the New York Times is uh, the Amazon of media. They see they're really on a massive acquisition. I mean, they're they're acquiring well. all the talent, all the productions. Like, I actually feel like this is a bit of a loss for the media environment, too. It's like it's getting mm -hmm. to the point where there's not going to be like an independent standing because the Times. Well, you also have all like, these independent <sighs> folks. Like, I, I bet a lot of the athletic top folks leave and do their own sub stacks or own podcasts. And then it'll be because if you're a top person at the athletic, you were probably there as a top performer, col you know, columnist in desire. That's a desired columnist. You were there because they were paying you well and you want to get equity in the athletic. That would be a little bit of a pot sweetener. I don't know if they're going to make any money, those top contributors. So they'll probably leave to go to Substack to start their own podcasts and uh, be independent. So mm -hmm. 1.2 million subscriptions for the athletic. New York Times uh, is doing this to hit their goal of 10 million subs by 2025. If they had 10 million subs in 2025, paying, you know, 100 bucks a year, you know, that's it's a billion dollars a year in revenue. Pretty, pretty great. Uh, so, quote from the New York Times article: The site now has about 600 employees, roughly 400 of them are editorial staff members, making it the second largest employer of sports reporters in the country, behind Disney-owned ESPN. And I really think there should have been a venture capitalist who uh, backed. The athletic to go after espn or mm -hmm. a merger between espn and the athletic would have been great or disney supposedly wants to spin out espn um and, and have them uh you know be more independent because yeah, it's this feels like a loss for bundled. disney this feels like there could have been a good bidding war between disney and the new york times for this so, you know disney to get scooped by the new york times would be like facebook losing instagram to twitter mm -hmm. which they didn't right mm -hmm. um and in fact google was super pissed off that uh facebook was able to buy instagram i from my sources uh larry page was infuriated that google did not win that uh billion dollar deal for really instagram. Mm -hmm. yeah big time he like made some changes so really wanted it. Uh, i mean just imagine you bundled the athletic subscription with disney plus hulu and espn like oh you bought disney plus uh or you bought espn plus whatever hulu you get athletic with it or you're reading athletic and they upsell you, you know, that's genius. Like you're Disney, paying six, seven, that bucks. was a whiff. That's a big whiff. Yeah. Bad job on the M&A team at Disney, which is the best M&A team in the business. Mm -hmm. They bought Disney, Pixar and Marvel, but Bob Iger, who I've been trying to get on this program, <clears throat> producers, mm -hmm. uh, because his book is so good. Uh, you know, he's not there anymore. So yeah. that's probably why they probably just aren't as sharp on the M&A. All right. Uh, so I guess next up is my interview. I was able to interview Axie Infinita co-founder Jiho Zerlin. Um, they've got over 2 million players and it's really crazy, uh, Molly. You basically earn crypto. You pay like two or 300 bucks to buy your characters in order to play in the game. 
So imagine you were playing Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty and you earned cryptocurrency while playing. Not a ton, but if you were a top player, you earned 10 to 25 bucks, I think, uh, a day. Uh, and then consumers can buy crypto and kind of be owners in this. They're kind of on the cap table by buying into this currency, which would be as if, you remember the World of Warcraft days? Yeah. Imagine when all these World of Warcraft players were playing, if you and I didn't play World of Warcraft, but we could buy uh, the swords or the uh, gold or mana, whatever it was in that game that they used as a device, we could buy that as an investment. Mm -hmm. Pretty crazy, right? This is fascinating. This is such a fascinating interview, and I'm really excited for everybody to hear it. I, for one thing, am... Am shocked and should not be shocked at how much people are willing to spend, like $70 per token. I don't want to give too much away about that. But what we're going to find, and I had a thought while listening to this, that if you wanted to turn an asset class into a cryptocurrency, you would do it by creating an in-game economy. And then yeah. basically being like, no problem. We stress tested this as a currency already. It's working here. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the market for it. And then you just like unleash it into the world because they're building it. It's and very cool. There are millions of people playing. I think they have 2 million players a day or something to that effect. And a fun game. Totally. And a fun game. I mean, yeah. this is the, this really does feel like, you know, I have, I'm a skeptic of a lot of crypto projects. And even in this project, I think, you know, oh my God, there must be a lot of like, you know, speculation going on here, but people spend a lot of money on video games and get a lot of value. So if you pay 50 bucks for Call of Duty or you spend 20 bucks a month on Fortnite, you know, costumes or whatever and you're spending 200 dollars a year on Fortnite, but you're getting five hours a day of value from it or 10 hours a week it's a pretty good deal versus movies or music or other entertainment options yeah and kind or of in cool this that case, you have a stake in it in this case making five to 20 to 25 dollars a day which you know it, it sounds yeah. like if there are people in the philippines earning that money or i don't know i could imagine like my kid would be stoked about that uh, it's going to be a really hard conversation when you say like, Hey, stop playing video games. Where's that going to get you? And they're like, well, I made a hundred bucks today <laughs> <laughs> or my characters are now worth $20,000 mom. And I paid 200 for them. So I've got $18,000. Right. I can pay for college next year myself. I don't need I, your allowance ever again. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, it's kind of the dream to get play paid for video games. Uh, like being a video game tester. I remember in the eighties, people were like, you can get paid to be a video game tester and play video games all day. I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> I think there's like 10 of them in the world, but uh, it's a good interview. Uh, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. It's 2022, and it's a great time for you to start your own online business or a blog. And Squarespace is the answer. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for you to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. It's not just about a beautiful marketing brochure online. It's really your core business now. And with Squarespace, you can publish content, promote your business, announce events or new projects. Plus, you can sell actual products and services and so much more. They have beautiful templates by world-class designers and powerful e-commerce functionality built in. And of course, everything's optimized for mobile. So if you're looking at it on a smartphone, a tablet, or a widescreen monitor, it's going to be beautiful and perfect every time. And they've got built-in SEO, so you don't have to hire some consultant who disappears on you and charges you an arm and a leg. They just built it in. Plus, free and secure hosting. You don't have to go find a hosting provider that's built into Squarespace. And they have 24 by 7 award-winning customer support. If you need help, you get help. If you don't need help, well, great. But you always have it there when you need it. And trust me, there's going to be at some point Maybe not this year or next year, but maybe two or three years from now, you need some help. You want somebody to pick up the phone, don't you? Or to respond to your email, or they're going to do that 24-7. So go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, 
just use the offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And congratulations to the team. They went public in 2021. An amazing journey for a hardworking, incredibly great group of builders. You have my respect and we love the product. And thanks so much for supporting this week in startups. We really do appreciate it. All right, everybody. We've been hearing a lot about NFTs. We've been hearing a lot about blockchain, obviously video games with uh, purchases inside, whether those are swords or mana or tokens has been around for a long time. These two things are coming together. And the leading player in that space is a company called uh, Sky Mavis. And that's a game studio that makes a game that you've probably heard about if you've, you know, or anywhere around the crypto space called Axie Infinity. It is one of the top five most played blockchain based games. And uh, number two by monetary value. Today, we have the founder, uh, or the co founder, I should say, uh, Jiho Zerlin. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Zerlin? Yeah. That's correct. All right. Welcome to the program. Uh, just starting right out, what is the difference between a game uh, that is based on crypto, blockchain, NFTs, et cetera, versus a normal game? Sure. So, my framework when I'm looking at, right, does this app need to be using blockchain? I usually look for applications or industries where there is a, an extractive middleman or middlemen that are uh, basically taking a majority of the value when, in fact, the users of these projects are actually generating the majority of the value. So in my opinion, an NFT game or an NFT-empowered game is uh, a game where the community is also uh, sharing in the success of the game. And this is right through exposure by owning different tokens, whether that could be NFTs or governance tokens that represent some stake in the ecosystem. Got it. So in this first game, Axie Infinity, uh, maybe we could just show a video for people who are watching because now Spotify supports video. If you're watching this week in startups on Spotify, or we have a video feed on Apple Podcasts, or if you're watching at youtube.com slash this weekend. Uh, but I'll ask you to basically, uh, Jiho, uh, to sportscast us and sh tell us what we're seeing. So we're putting it up on the screen now. And I see a bunch of uh, little cartoony characters uh, talking to each other or fighting with each other. What, what are we seeing here? Sure. So axes are fierce and adorable digital pets. Each axie has six different body parts. Those body parts actually correspond to the cards that they're drawing in battle. Mm. Um, so right, the idea is to knock out your opponent's axes by playing cards that are going to be strategic based on the situation and, and the axes that you're actually attacking. Certain axes are stronger against other axes. Um, so they have kind of like types uh, mm -hmm. that kind of uh, have their advantages and disadvantages. Um, some axes are really great at taking damage and uh, absorbing damage to protect their teammates. Others are better at attacking and um, taking out the enemy axes. Got it. Axes and... can be bred. So oh, there is okay. a whole breeding component that is tied into the battle system. And so the population is actually, right, the genes are actually on the blockchain. So, the, so you can think of it as right, there is this Mendelian arms race that's happening with these digital pets where the population is actually evolving over time based on what's becoming popular and what is called the metagame. Mm. So people are building these characters. Do they have to buy these characters in order to play? Is it like, you know, playing coin operated video games in the 80s and 90s where you put quarters in? 
Uh, or can I just start playing this on my PC or my iPad or a console? Where is it played? And, and how do you play as it were? So right now, in order to play, you actually need to purchase a team of three axes, or you can actually borrow a team mm -hmm. from someone that's willing to lend it out to you for perhaps okay. a percentage cut of the resources or the in-game tokens that you're actually earning while playing. Got it. How much does it cost to buy an Axies or a, 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 a trio of Axies, I guess? Axies right now, I believe, are around $70 each. Got it. So for 210 bucks, you can start playing the game. Um, do you lose the Axies if you lose the game? Is it like playing marbles in the old days or you know, some other game where you uh, have something at stake? That would be a fun game mode. Yeah. But right now, that's not the case. So mm. uh, each Axie can only be battled or each team of axes or each account can only battle a certain number of times per day. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the thing that limit that limits right, how ah. much you can, um, how much of the in-game resources that you can actually earn. Right. And how many people have bought these trios of axes? So right now there are just about 2.9 million unique addresses that are, that own axes. There are around 2.5 million people who play every single day. Wow. So this is not an insignificant number of people. This is, in fact, probably more people than play any VR game right now on a single day. Um, these, uh, so if you sold about three, if 3 million wallets own them and they cost 200 a piece, have $600 million worth of these axes been sold? So there, the total lifetime volume on our NFT marketplace is actually $3.8 billion. Why? Because some axes are actually worth significantly more than seventy. There are axes, mm. seventy dollars. There are axes that have sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. We also have other NFTs in our ecosystem. We have things like land and land mm. items. So one thing that I also want to get across is that right, th this uh, the game that you just saw is actually just the first of many experiences that we're building in the Axie universe. So mm. we are actually building a new upgraded version of the battle system that will allow people to get started fall in love with the game, learn the game mechanics before making any kind of significant economic decisions. We think that that's going to be a game changer. We're also working on a land-based game, kind of like a town builder where you're mm. building up a, a little village and building structures. Clash of Clans or yeah, like Age Clash of Empires. Of yeah. Clash of Clans slash Age of Empires slash Stardew Valley. Uh, Got it. Thinking in terms of traditional So games. when hundreds of millions of dollars have gone through the system, does your company get those or are those people trading uh, with each other? How does that work? So the way that we align incentives is so that the, our in-house NFT marketplace, which is uh, processed over $3.8 billion of uh, NFT volume, that has a 4.25% marketplace fee. That mm. fee is actually taken into and sent to a community treasury. Mm. And Sky Mavis, the way that we kind of have exposure to that is we own around 20% of a token that basically has governance rights over that treasury. Got it. So you've created your own currency in the world. You get 4% of all transactions that occur. If a billion dollars goes through, that's 40 million. If 3 billion goes through, that's 120 million. That 120 million, your company gets 20% of, uh, which is uh, 24 million, which rounded up to 25 million. So that's how you make your money, that 25 million. But the rest of the community gets to put those, that dollars into what? game development uh where does the other 100 million or so go sure so right now all of those funds are actually just being accumulated in the community uh -huh. treasury wow. it's possible that there will right it, it may be the, the community will like to use it for different 
initiatives, but it's also mm. possible that we people can stake stake those tokens and then receive tokens um, in return, right? So the, the the treasury could theoretically be streamed out and sent to the to the token holders, uh, of which we're so only one of many. So. Are people making money playing the game or speculating on the value of these characters? There are some people who are making money by playing this game. We just went through a horrible pandemic. Places like the Philippines and Venezuela, these are places where right, if you're able to earn a couple of dollars a day by playing a game, then right, that can be uh, pretty life-changing. So there are, yes, there are communities where this is making a huge difference. I'll also say that, of course, right, part of the reason that this works and that there aren't just millions of these games out there is that you need to have the right mix of a fun game an amazing community uh, and a well kind of balanced economic system, right? It, it's, it, it's not, this isn't a new parallel universe where, right, money just grows on trees and, and anyone can um, basically get rich, uh, right? This is a system where there are some people who are, right, spending money for, for fun, for pleasure, for convenience, and then there are others who are trading their time uh, for capital. Which is not unprecedented. People might not know this, but a game, World of Warcraft, which has, almost 5 million monthly members, which you're pretty close to, and I'm sure you've taken some inspiration or at least notes on, had a phenomenon called gold farming, um, which wasn't just to that game, but people used to in China and some other places, Manila, I think in the Philippines, people would play the game. And like you said, you're in a place where getting paid five or $10 a day is a good living in front of a computer. Uh, they could basically play the game, get some gold, and then sell it to somebody in the West who wants gold. And they would do that typically off of the platform uh, in some fugazi kind of way. But you've built this into the economy here, correct? Yeah, I think the key difference is that right, rather than forcing these people who would like to engage in this type of behavior, forcing them to right, kind of hide the behavior, mm -hmm. right, threatening them with bans, and uh, forcing them to go into these kind of third-party websites that can be quite dangerous to use often. Right, we're encouraging this. We think that this is a, a feature that many gamers would like. We believe that game assets are property, mm -hmm. that they're digital property, and that when gamers are given digital property rights, you start to see really interesting behaviors emerge, right? Where mm -hmm. they become super evangelist, uh, ah. kind of dedicating their lives to the game, right? Like it, people wake up every morning and say, like, you know, how am I going to help the Axie? Uh, Axie Infinity today, right? And that's because they're they're seeing themselves as right, not just players, but also part owners of this ecosystem. It's pretty fascinating if you thought about it, like World of Warcraft. If the first million people in World of Warcraft who really popularized it, if they were to get some sort of kickback or payment for every person they brought onto the system, that would be kind of like affiliates, and those things have existed. But here, because you have this token that represents uh, that they probably have bought into and own or these axis characters, they can flip those to make money or rent them out to make money. Yeah, sure. And we also yeah. even had this event where when we released our token, that it's called Axis or AXS, um, the Axie Infinity Shard. When we released that, we actually said, hey, there are 10,000 people in the community. You've gotten us to this point. We're actually going to take a snapshot of your activity, mm -hmm. like how many axes you own, how much land you have, how many battles you've won. And we actually ended up one year later after the token had gone up about 100,000%. We ended up, you know, kind of making good on that promise and dropping around $100 million, $100 million worth of tokens to wow. those initial 10,000 missionaries who helped us get this project off the ground. So 
these are are Americans allowed to play the game or are you caught up in this? Like, is it a security? Are you paying to play a game? Because if you think about a utility token, by definition, you know, uh, a lot of the people who are speculating on cryptocurrencies, I mean, they're buying Ethereum or whatever it is, or Solana, they have no intention of using it. I would think the overwhelming majority of people buying your tokens are actually using them in the game. So they are, in fact, a utility in the game, correct? I think the key difference is that, right, like, unlike many projects these days, we built a functioning game, we built a community, right, long before we even, right, released the token. So this is a rare mm. example where the token for the project actually came two years after we started. Oh, wow. um, so we think that that's really the model. We unfortunately don't see that too much in this recently over the last year things have been very schizophrenic right um and yeah. i think founders have been forced uh to make difficult decisions uh, i'll say or maybe right the incentives are way different than in a bear market where you're you know kind of like building alongside your community so i think that's been one of our advantages as well is right that uh we you know we've been able to work on this for three to four years almost four years now and uh, we've learned a lot along the way, and we've been able to take things methodically, and we haven't been kind of pressured by anybody, really. Um, to, so. It's incredibly hard, though, to just play the game. You can download the game, obviously, on iOS or play it on your Mac. It's available on a lot of different platforms. However, you have to open up a wallet, I believe, go to Binance or some marketplace to buy the, is it AXS tokens is the... Or are they just called access tokens or AXS is how it's, how do people say it? Access, access. Yeah. So they have to go buy access tokens. So you have to be a kind of a crypto head to figure this out. It's a little bit of a hard on-ramp. Is that correct? Sure, sure. It's definitely quite, still quite difficult, mm -hmm. which I think is actually, right, it shows that there's huge opportunity, uh, opportunities ahead. This will get easier. Uh, for now, it is quite difficult. You do need to build, uh, create a Ronin wallet. Uh, act, interestingly, we've actually we're working with a fiat on ramp where you can buy ether or access tokens or uh, the, mm. the uh, in-game resources directly uh, using a card or credit card or debit card directly from the wallet. Um, so you don't have to necessarily go out to a different crypto exchange. Um, but yeah, it, it is quite difficult. I, I think that's also part of the beauty, though, is right. We've been able to, right, despite all of these steps, onboard millions of people into crypto. Seventy-five percent of our users have never used crypto before. Fifty uh, percent don't ha do not have a bank account, so uh, I think right this oh, wow. is really is a golden moment where we're starting to see the path forward, right? And that yes, it's still incredibly difficult to get started with this technology. Yes, we need to make it a lot easier, but if we have these engaging, beautiful, fascinating projects, there are people that will jump through the hoops and start yeah going down the rabbit hole. So. People can also just if they think this is an interesting project, like if they thought Call of Duty was an interesting game or World of Warcraft or whatever, they could just buy AXS tokens on Coinbase at this point and just buy them and hold them thinking, hey, this game could get a lot of uh, traction at some point. Are people doing that as well? That's definitely one of the major ways that people find out about the game is, you know, they might buy access tokens first and then say, hey, this game. It seems like it's doing really well. Like I want to be a part of this, right? And then once you own the token, that's some incentive, right? Some some research, some um, excuse to basically start doing some research and learning more about it. So that's definitely a common uh, way that people have started to get more and more involved in the project. I think they're, the amazing thing, right, is that historically, so I was never really interested in crypto. I grew up as a gamer, as a collector. Mm. Um, I was also very interested in like military and economic history. 
that. I wasn't I wasn't interested in uh in crypto when it was just about Bitcoin. But then when I found out about NFTs through the you know the kind of the early project Crypto Kitties, I thought, mm-hmm. hey, this is something that appeals to the gamer in me. This is something that appeals to the collector in me. This is going to be huge. And it's some way that right, non-technical people, they don't necessarily have to feel at a disadvantage, right? So it feels a little bit safer and like you're not necessarily playing with outside of your zone uh, as a non-technical person. So when you create a company like this and you start selling these tokens, the market cap now of the tokens, I understand, is over $20 billion. And how many of those, to- how much of those tokens does the company own? Because all this is public information, I understand, right? Like the, the ownership of the tokens. So how many do, does the company own and then in the treasury of the company, I guess, versus say investors in the company or just people who are uh, buying them themselves? Sure. So Sky Mavis owns around 20% of the uh, circulating supply. I'll also say that the fully diluted valuation is 20 billion plus, but I, I believe that the circulating evaluation is maybe five, five or six billion. I think crypto went down today. So oh, okay. So there. of the people who have them, there's a bunch of people who uh, may be holding them who can't sell them or they're not in circulation yet. But essentially, you know, if this takes off, you have this incredible, basically like public, it's almost like you're a publicly traded company where people can buy in and buy shares of the company and bet on you. And you have an unlimited amount of capital now to produce games. Is is that correct? Then we have a very special opportunity in that, right? I think in crypto network effects and first mover advantage are real and very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and right, I think people see that we're we have this amazing community, and we have something that the rest of crypto really needs, which is mm-hmm. users, which is attention. Right? This is the ultimate manifestation of maybe the attention economy, where we've actually been able to onboard millions of people. Uh, into this ecosystem. And right, they're also, you know, going to be looking for other things to do, right? Like we've onboarded them to our decentralized exchange, which is called Katana that has around 31,000 daily active users right now. It's, you know, one of the most used uh, DeFi applications uh, in the world as well right now. So we have this opportunity where, right, we have this attention and I think we can uh, divvy that up among many, many other uh, projects, um, whether so- that be new games and yeah. yeah. Who's going to make the new games? Is the community make the new games? Or is that what you think your company is going to be specializing in? Is you make new games? Or is it possible you could say to a game developer who makes traditional games, hey, why don't you just use our AXS token? We've got all this money sloshing around. We'll gift you, you know, $10 million in uh, tokens to make your, I don't know if it was Angry Birds in the early days or, you know, some other game, Clash of Clans in the early days before they became a billion dollar franchise. You know, if you had some, uh, you know, indie game developers, you could just give them these tokens to to start building. That's definitely part of the vision where we want to make it really easy for both community developers and third party game developers and and these indie studios and perhaps even, you know, large AAA game studios that are interested in NFTs to get, you know, to come into our universe, use our infrastructure. So one of the things that I also want to mention is that we've built this scalable NFT infrastructure. It's called Ronin. Uh, and just on Ronin, uh, Ronin did more volume, NFT volume than all other NFT scaling solutions combined in 2021. So, you know, we show, we, we sh- we've shown that it's battle tested and there are many game developers that are super eager to, you know, build on top of Ronin. Why? Because right, you, you get access, you get instant distribution to this incredibly strong, uh, community. Hmm. Um, so let's pull up this chart here. This is the AXS relationship. 
or the axis relationship for the token. Explain to me what we're seeing here. You have players, the game universe, community treasury, and axis holders all in this kind of uh, flywheel. So maybe you can walk us through this chart of how the ecosystem works. Definitely. So at its core, right? Like if if a if someone wants to get more axes, whether they're a new player or an existing player expanding their collection, they need to actually buy those in a peer-to-peer transaction. Right. So where do those axes come from? Those axes come from breeding. Uh, and in order to breed axes, you actually need to burn um, some in-game resource. Right. Mm. Only way to actually get that in-game resource is by playing the game. So Got if it. there is right, so basically the way the economy works is that if there is demand for axes, then right there is demand for in-game resources. Right. So then right, it's basically uh, it's possible to price the in-game resources. Then we we come to a system where uh, players can actually earn by playing the game. So th- this is a chart uh, depicting kind of the access token ecosystem. Uh, so players can actually earn this token by playing the game as well, by placing mm. on the leaderboard. Uh, when they're spending money, that revenue uh, is actually going into something called the community treasury. Players can stake those tokens and then receive uh, kind of rewards from the community treasury that are that are uh, coming in, you know, through. Uh, what does it mean to stake ecosystem. for people who don't know to stake the token? Sure. Staking means staking is a system where you can lock up your tokens. It's a way of signaling that, hey, these tokens are locked. I'm not going to be selling them. And then once once you stake or lock these tokens, you can then, uh, in, in many cases, like vote on different proposals, or, or you're el- you then become eligible for rewards. Got it. Uh, so, c- just super complex here, but uh, if I'm understanding it, I'll reflect it back to you. When I play the game, I can earn uh axes by playing the game and if i hit the leaderboard resources that can then be used to breed axes got it so i get the i get the basically components that could then become an axes because i earn some other um minerals or whatever in the game then that becomes axes now i've got something of actual value that i could sell to somebody else um if i played the game and i was a top 10 player for 10 hours what would the value of those, and I was able to put those resources to work to make axes, what would those be worth? Ballpark. So is so definitely rewards scale quite heavily as, as you become, you know, a, a quite good player. I believe some of the best players, they're earning around maybe 20, 25 to $30 uh, per day. Wow. Um, and then you can, you can enter tournaments, uh, you know, to win much larger prize pools. All right. I think like it's very, there is a flaw, right? Like in the system right now, as it's currently designed, which is right that it kind of requires that there's always this constant demand um, for maxis. A lot of it is coming from new players, right? So mm. one way uh, that we will address this in the future is right as we build this uh, universe out, people will be able to upgrade their axes, right? For co- you know, kind of cosmetic uh, benefits and you know, sure. just to m- increase the rarity, right? And then you might be either burning in-game resources or perhaps releasing <laughs> axes permanently and getting mm. some crafting materials that are then used to enhance the appearance and perhaps even the power of your axes. This is kind of like part evolution. Um, and it, it's something that is really, uh, it's, it's really needed in the long term. Um, but we've really focused kind of, we, we've had to be super lean. I think we've been able to move quickly. One of the reasons that we've just prioritized uh, features that we thought would get us uh, to become a household name in, in crypto, but uh, yeah, so so the, the game economy is is still very 
uh, it's still in its in a very early state. Um, mm. And yeah, you know, but we have a lot of awesome additions that we'll be adding over the next couple of years. Is it hard to manage this relationship between the people who want to speculate on crypto and the people who want to play the game? Because people playing the game, let's face it, 25 bucks a day being one of the top players. If you're one of the top players, you probably play poker or be a developer or you're just wickedly smart and good at, you know, games of scale, which is kind of feels like a game of scale, right? Um, I think it would kind of fall into that category. It's $25, not enough money for you to quit your day job. And you probably have plenty of other options to make 25 bucks an hour driving DoorDash or whatever. So, but then you have all these speculators uh, playing the game. How do you balance what the speculators want in buying tokens? And let's face it, that could be, you know, very um, lucrative for you as a company versus what the game players want. It can be quite different. There's so many different types of stakeholders within the economy, right? And, and within the ecosystem, there are people who are just, you know, battling for fun. There are people who are right, like battling very competitively and, and trying to climb the leaderboard. There are people who are just collecting axes because they think that they're cute. There are people who breed axes because they you know, want to see what, type, what all the different visual combinations are and, and try to have the rarest uh, axes. Uh, there are people who uh, you know, also are renting out <laughs> axes to people and kind of seeing it as their own little business, their own little mm. digital pet business or store. Uh, there are people who are buying axes and hoping to just to flip them. So there are so many different uh, mm. archetypes, but I think that's also one of our strengths is that we have, there are so many ways for, for people to get involved. Uh, it can be difficult. I think right, we have to prioritize, in my opinion, the, the needs and the desires of those that are playing for fun uh, because they're in essence funding on the network. Uh, so the people who are playing for fun, as well as right, the kind of long-term builders who right, really see this as a exercise and co-creation um, with us. Mm -hmm. I, th I think like, you know, if I had to pick two archetypes of people, I, I think you know, generally those, those two buckets are uh, the ones that we have to, I think, be, be in super close contact with. Unpack for us how renting and scholarships work of these uh, axes in the game. So one of the things that we've done is we have disconnected the ability to use an Axie from the actual ownership of mm. the Axies. So you can play on an account that you do not own. How does and that this, mechanically work? So the mm. Axies are stored in a, in a, in a blockchain wallet, mm. but the actual gameplay, right? In order to play the Axies, all you need is a QR code. So, so you, what you could do is you have your own axes, you can share the QR code that allows someone else to play with them. And then, right, someone else can play, play with your axes without actually being able to steal your axes if, uh, you know, something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that was like a new thing that we hadn't seen before. And because of that, that allowed right, this new model where people are, you know, you know being able to trustlessly uh, lend out uh, their game assets, their axes, in, in, in this case. Um, can they revoke the, the ability for somebody if they let them have the QR code to rent it? Can they revoke it? it so the QR code expires every few weeks. So. Got it. So if I had these for fun, I could just tweet my QR code and say, anybody want to play? Go ahead. And first person who gets in gets to use it kind of thing until it uh, runs out. You would want to only share it with one person. That okay. Got it. And then uh, they can learn how to play the game, et cetera, and, and go from there. But people are buying up Axie. How much do they rent them for a day uh, or for a month? Are they renting them by the so day, by the month? The, so basically what, the, what, the, what they'll do is just agree to a split of the tokens, right? So maybe mm. 
you know, 40% of the tokens that they earn, they'll send back to the to ah. the owner of the actual. So that's fascinating. This would be as if in World of Warcraft, I had a level 100 whatever wizard. And I was like, I'm not going to play this month. It's finals. Anybody want to play this character for a month? Don't do anything stupid, but uh, whatever, you, you know, you make in World of Warcraft, I get half, you get half. Kind of an interesting model. Definitely. And the thing written in World of Warcraft, you can't trust someone to do that because they can go on your account, right? They could drop all the, they could drop some of your stuff. They could ruin everything, right? So I, I, it is really, I think, interesting where you're basically yeah, uh, separating ownership from usage. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, and so how many years were you building the game before you introduced all the crypto? So we started building Axie in 2018. Wow. In the beginning, you couldn't even see your Axie. So when I found mm. Axie, I actually found that about found Axie as a community member. Mm. And I found it and you couldn't see them yet. And then mm. there was one day where all of a sudden, hey, there's an unboxing. You could see your Axies. Then you could uh, <laughs> then you could sell them. Then you could read them. And then there was a very basic auto battle system. Um, that was in 2018, uh, right? That got us to our first couple of hundred users. Um, we then uh, kind of expanded the vision by having a land sale. And then we released the current battle system. So the current product, which has gone to millions of people, was actually built by less than 10 people about two years ago. Um, so we actually have a major upgrade uh, that's on the way. But uh, yeah, it's been a very iterative process. Most games, right, uh, they can take years and um, yeah, we, we see, we, this is a very, uh, I think we're building a public alongside the community mm. and from way before a traditional game developer would have showed anything to the world. I think a fundamental difference um, in how these games are built, where they're kind of built alongside the community where you're getting constant feedback. And because people have a stake in your project from such an earlier uh, point, uh, from such an early point right there, you automatically have like people who are willing to be your testers and give you, mm. in, in many cases, harsh, uh, uh, harsh yeah. feedback because right uh, there, there are real economic implications for the project failing for for many of them. Um, tell me about the whales behavior in the system. All these systems have whales. Famously, Zynga. Some of the whales were spending a thousand, ten thousand dollars a month on tokens, mono, whatever it was. You know, the game device was. What are the whales spending playing the game uh, and, and buying? items or bundles or land etc so i've talked to many of the wills some of them are just right they're collectors where they, they might want the rarest axie they'll mm. then you know they, they can then use that to meet other like-minded whales uh, some mm. of our whales have started kind of little syndicates where they're uh right you know kind of done wow. really well for themselves by basically making social connections and then um basically using their position and their fame within the Axie universe to kind of accumulate uh, social capital. There are others that see this as kind of like, you know, one of those uh, management sims where, right, they just want to help people and they want as many scholars as possible. Um, and uh, yeah, they, you know, they, they're kind of more looking for glory. So they might be looking to start like a guild that is very prominent that wins a lot of tournaments um, as well. Uh, yeah, I think like also, like, it's really important that we also, uh, encourage more more whale spending in the future. I think the current uh, system doesn't necessarily have enough options for them to kind of show mm. off uh, within the game and to to spend for fun and pleasure, right? So that so examples like of that would be right, like having super rare items um, that they might need to burn uh, a lot of in-game resources for, or just kind of sacrifice uh, axes mm. uh, to receive. 
there's also this concept of people buying land. I guess some people call it buying land in the metaverse. I don't know if you consider Axie land metaverse. I guess it kind of is. But I see here on the uh, marketplace that somebody is selling a plot of land uh, for, uh, it sold previously for an, one Ethereum or 1.2 Ethereum, but it's now selling for 16, we're asking 16.95 Ethereum, $59,000 for Mystic Plot, minus 49, minus 29. Are people really buying virtual land for tens of thousands of dollars? And what do they actually get in a piece of virtual land for $60,000? They're buying land for millions of dollars. The, the highest single sale for a, the single, the highest sale for a single plot of land, hmm. of digital land actually happened with an Axie Infinity where so, uh, a Genesis plot, one of only 75 actually sold for $2.5 million uh, worth of Ether, uh, I think it was around 550 ETH, uh, okay. I believe, just just two months ago. So people are buying this land for a lot of reasons, right? So they, some believe that there are going to be great tokens um, of real value that can be mm. generated by uh, building out that land out. Uh, some mm. think that there will be like advertising value, right? If there if, if the uh. game does well and there's a lot of eyeballs, right? Then Right, then eyeball is an eyeball. Whether it's is it, so, know, there is a limited amount of space or digital space. So, just so we understand, there's a there's a land that you can travel through in the game that's different than the heads up card game that we saw before. But there's also like land you can travel around in, and there's a limited amount of it, and they own it. And so, if like in World of Warcraft, if we're all playing this map, or if in Call of Duty there was one very popular map or Fortnite. You own that, you could put advertising on it potentially in the future, or when people come to play on it, they might have to pay you to play in that area kind of thing. Sure, things like that. Or you could even build experiences on top of that land and maybe, right? But what if you were, you know, built in kind of a, a game that was, and then there's like this arcade setup where, you know, people might need to pay a small amount to play that game. Got it. So the person who pays $2.5 million on this, you people think it's crazy. But if they were buying $2.5 million and it was, I don't know, let's say a landing page as part of a website, and this was the early days of Yahoo, and you got the Yahoo finance page or something, and you had the rights to the advertising on that page, it could actually pay off over time. Uh, is kind of a way to think about it. Definitely. Or and I mean, the million also, dollar homepage. People are for, for status, right? It's like if you own a Genesis land, then right, you get to go. Maybe right, you get invited into special chat groups, and mm. and it's it's a way to socialize. Why do people right, like you know it, it, we get into existential questions that are hard to answer, right? Like why do people spend tons of money in the physical world on on things that you know might not make sense to to those who don't have millions or hundreds of millions of dollars? Yeah, I mean, if people go to a club and buy some rare bottles of champagne and they spend a hundred thousand dollars champagne popping bottles at a club it makes no sense because you can buy the same champagne for a thousand dollars without sparklers and people dancing around your table with it so there definitely is something for that but i think actually the more interesting thing is well what if it actually did generate revenue in the future then you would be a shareholder in the game when people buy those plots of land and you do that land sale that goes into your community treasury i take it and then the company gets 20 percent, the community gets 80 percent, or something similar yeah so when we do so 25 percent of the land has been sold so far in the future uh, if we do, uh, you know, the land sales would theoretically, right, the, mm. that revenue would go uh, into the community treasury. Uh, any ideas on licensing this or partnering with folks? I could imagine somebody like a Disney or Grand Theft Auto must be watching what you're doing here and saying, you know, we sell Grand Theft Auto. 
you know, for some amount of money or people buy in game stuff, man, if Grand Theft Auto was built in on your platform or in a similar fashion, I mean, people could buy different areas of different cities or from World of Warcraft. So is there some thought to license IP or just keep making your own games? We are interested in bringing very well recognized and beloved IP on top and, and bringing that into mm. both the Axie universe and as well as Ronin. Um, so we're mm. kind of like incubating that uh, IP within our universe. Um, it's, it's definitely right. It's definitely the, the path forward. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a long journey as well. What would be the dream IP if you could pick anyone? I think Hello Kitty, just to say something wow. maybe that uh, some, some people might not say. Because Hello Kitty is right, like a powerhouse. Uh, it's, mm. it's, I believe, like the most, uh, you know, the most valuable IP in the world. Um, is it really? Wow! And it, it it does incredible amounts of uh, revenue, and right there is kind of that overlap where you have that kind of kawaii aesthetic. So another thing that I'd like to say is that right, like uh, we haven't even started our kind of merch rollout, and I think that's also going to be uh, kind of a aha moment for everyone. Because if you can sell merch and then use the proceeds from that merch. Uh, to back the in-game economy, right? It's like pe- people are buying merch for fun, right? Like just because they they think it's cute, right? Uh, so we, so I think like when people understand right that uh, element um, and how we can uh, harness that type of spending in the physical world to uh, enhance our digital nation, I, I think that's also going to be kind of a key moment in, in our history. Well, I mean, I think at this point, on the way you're going, you could just buy San Sanrio the. Uh... The, the parent company of hello kitty i mean i don't know what they go for but i think you could make a run at them um any problems you're facing right now as a company trying to keep this together in this crazy world what's the biggest challenge for you day to day yeah I, th- I think scaling out the team making sure that right we're uh getting the personnel that we need and um, but also right like being able to push forward the current projects. i think just like prioritizing everything um it can can be you know it can be really difficult um, I think exponential growth always breaks things. Like there are times where our servers were going down, uh, right? Uh, it, it can make the economy much harder to balance because, right? Sometimes if everyone hears that you can make money by playing a game, right? Everyone's going to come in, and right. Uh, but obviously, there have to be people that are. There has to be a ratio, right? A balanced ratio between people who are spending for fun and then people who are playing for uh, <laughs> playing to earn, basically. Uh, yeah. So maintaining that ratio sometimes it can get out of whack, and then. Uh, uh, and, and then right there's a lot of economic volatility and you know there's real uh, there's real economic value at stake and, and you know so the stakes are high and that can cause uh right emotions in the community <laughs> there can be like drama and, thing, and things like that so uh mm. yeah th- we're dealing with a lot of really interesting questions and issues these are issues that are traditionally maybe dealt more by like founders of a nation rather than right game de- people who are building their first game yeah, it does seem like the people who are buying into this vision feel like they are citizens and they care about the governance of it and the direction of the company. So you really have to keep them in mind because they're making big investments of time and money, capital, emotion into this. It's a fascinating project and would love to check in with you in about a year and see how this is all going. Uh, more games coming, I take it. When's the next game going to launch? Yeah, we, we hope to have some awesome uh, game launches this year. So uh, that, that basically Axie Infinity Origin. Mm. Uh, is our kind of upgraded battle system uh the art will be better the uh, the, the effects will be better it'll be more fast uh, more more skill based faster and uh, i think most importantly you'll be able to get, find it on the app store and start 
playing and exploring without any, you know, without having to spend. Ah, got it. So you could do in-game, in-app purchases and have the ownership exist there. Does Apple and Google allow the purchase of, because I know they weren't really into crypto, but they do allow people to buy video game stuff. So if you're buying a sword in an Apple game, that's totally fine. But if you were to buy cryptocurrency, that would not be fine. So I, I get, how do you think about that? And our, how, how are the platforms it's, it's thinking about it? something that you? we're trying to educate the different app stores around and, mm-hmm. and work towards an amicable resolution, right? There are different paths forward where you do some, some, some there could be some things that are in-app purchases and for others, you could be maybe linking out. I know obviously linking to an external payment processor, right? This is a huge yeah. debate or point of contention right yeah, now. Yeah, big lawsuit, right? Like Epic Games, are maybe yeah. Moving, yeah. Things are moving, I think, in the direction of being more open. So yeah, you know, it, it, it's really exciting. And Well, I suppose uh, you could yeah. let people play the game without having ownership through you know buying in-app purchases and then if they want to have ownership they would figure out that you can also own these characters and not just use them one off in the game or it could be two tiers of game people who own their characters and people don't and that could be another status thing there is a yeah i I think right like one of the things that crypto has not done well so far is having some right you go from like in terms of thinking in terms of funnels right you go from awareness to like hard activation right it's like okay right like the first thing that you have to do is like actually buy 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 something in i think almost all cases right mm-hmm. so the ability to right learn and kind of you know fall in love with the universe and a community before actually having to go down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. um i think that's i think that's going to be uh, really important well i think it's a fascinating project congratulations on all the success another five or six year overnight success in the making <laughs> and uh keep at it and we'll look forward to watching these new releases come out later in the year. All right, everybody, we'll see you next time on This Week in Serbs. Bye-bye.